0: morning my name is tally and if you haven't turned to exodus 14 go ahead and do so the passage today is exodus 14 10 through 31 when pharaoh drew near the people of israel lifted up their eyes and behold the egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of israel cried out to the lord they said to moses is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Is, this, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hands over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, "'Let us flee from before Israel.'" for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea not one of them remained but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and the, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord, and in his servant Moses." This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Well, how do you tell your story? Um, in particular, I'm talking about your story of salvation. For those of you who are believers, um, yeah, how do you tell the story? You know, how do you say, well, I, I was saved, God saved me when, um, I met the Lord when, I, I came into a relationship with God when, How do you tell that story? Some of you, it's, you know, I was raised in a Christian home and my parents faithfully ministered the gospel to me and I came to faith, I came to believe. Some of you, it's, uh, you know, so I didn't know anything about really Christianity and I met a Christian, I got invited to this Bible study and I started growing in faith and and one day I just realized I I believed, I I was following after Jesus. Some of you, it's more dramatic, right? It's, uh, (laughs) I was in the back of a, police car I was uh, lost my job I was broke and I cried out to God and the Lord started meeting me and I I met Jesus in the process. One of my favorite stories that I've heard from one of our members here uh, was I read the Gospel of John and fell in love with Jesus. Now some of you might not have a story, right you you are here exploring the faith and you may even think like this storytelling the nature of Christianity is kind of a little obscure. I mean, people, Christians use kind of weird ler- words like, I was saved. Well, it's like, what are you being saved from? Or I was born again. Or even to say, I know God. I mean, that just seems like such a a big thing. And and, and certainly, if you're coming from a more secular background, you would say, well, isn't this just some sort of kind of psychotherapy that you're doing to say that you believe that you can can know God. But, but I, would, I would challenge you, if you're coming from that perspective, to, to listen to these stories, to, to listen to the real stories that people are telling. They're, they're telling stories. Something is happening. Something is happening in their lives that they're recounting. People are actually being changed. There, there, there are these real experiences with God that are happening. These, these experiences of salvation, of life in God. Now, if you were to go to ancient Israel and you were to ask them, what's your story? How are you saved? Tell me the story of your salvation. The story that they would tell you is the story that Tally just read to us. The story that they would tell you is Exodus 14. It's one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. In a very real way, this is the moment of Israel's salvation. this, This moment is talked about something like 80 times in the Old Testament. Before this Just as you read the scripture, you can notice this. Before this, God often introduces himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. After this, God introduces himself as the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This salvation, this redemption, becomes God's defining characteristic. I am the Lord who saved you, who gave you salvation. And so I think, I, I think we can't help but talk about this this morning as we understand Israel's salvation, to understand our, our own salvation, what, what salvation for the people of God really means, what it is. And, and so to, to help us with this, I, I kind of want to use the, the, a very classic fourfold gospel lens uh, to think about this. And we, we, we talk about this here often at Christ's covenant, even when we talk about how you should be sharing the gospel, we talk about this with our children all the time. This idea of, in order for somebody to be saved or for them to be a Christian, they have to have an understanding of God. They they have to have an understanding of man or themselves, right? Our position before God, our relationship to God. If they're going to be saved as Christians, they have to know who Jesus is and and what He has done for them. And then that calls for a response. And, and actually, we we. We see that this this story helps us meditate on all of these things. So let's begin with God. Now, this story, if you're paying attention to the book of Exodus, this story is all about God. There's this war, if you will, between the gods, between the true God of Israel, Yahweh, and Pharaoh. If If you read Exodus, you could almost say that everything that happens to Egypt is a response to. So all of the plagues, the death of the firstborn, here the destruction in the sea, it's all a response to Pharaoh's statement to Moses in Exodus 5. Moses goes to Pharaoh, he says, let my people go that they may go worship me. And what does Pharaoh say? Exodus 5, kind of the whole book, this is a very pivotal verse, Exodus 5 two. The whole rest of the book, in a sense, is a response, or at least from Exodus five to Exodus 14, is a response to verse two. Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh? Right? Moses says, let my people go, they may go worship Yahweh, they may go worship the Lord. What does Pharaoh say is, who is Yahweh? <laughs> I don't know this Yahweh, I don't know who he is. Who is Yahweh that I, Pharaoh, should obey his voice? And let my slaves go, let Israel go. I don't know Yahweh, I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Who is Yahweh? I don't know who he is, I don't respect him, and I will not obey him. The, the, the rest of, from basically chapter five through 14, it's God saying, You don't know who I am, let me show you who I am. You even see this in this passage. Over and over, there's a refrain. The Lord is saying, then Pharaoh will know. Then Egypt will know that I am the Lord. Then Egypt will know that I deserve glory. Alec Mateer, the Old Testament scholar, says this, this really is this epic battle of gods. Pharaoh versus Yahweh, and the question is this, to whom does Israel belong? Who, who does Israel belong to? Are, are they of Pharaoh, or are they of the Lord? And I think this is so helpful for us. I, w- I want you to hear this. The, the question of your faith is not, do you follow God, Jesus, or not? Really the question of your faith is who do you follow? <laughs> do you follow Jesus or do you follow some other God? Do you follow Jesus or, or is your heart after some other God? That's, that's what we see here. You know, it's interesting. Not only does Pharaoh want to have a claim on them, he says, why do we let him go? Let's go get them. I'm going to go get these people. I need my slave force back. Not only does Pharaoh want to have a claim on them, in a very real sense, they still want to have a claim on Pharaoh. They're out here in the wilderness. God's done all these amazing things for them, all of these plagues, the death of the firstborn, the unthinkable has happened, they've been released, they go out into the wilderness, but here comes Pharaoh, chasing after them, all of his armies. And what do they say? Look at verse 11. Was it because there was no graves in Egypt? That you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? (laughs) Why have you brought us out of Egypt? Is it not what we said to you when we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. Now, again, if you've been reading, that's not really what they said. No, they they were crying out to God. I mean, these are the Egyptians that have been enslaving them. These are the Egyptians that killed their children. They made them throw their baby boys into the, in the Nile. They cried out to the Lord to save them, and now He has saved them, and He sent them to deliver. And He's shown up in all of these powerful waves, hail, darkness, death. It all fell upon Egypt, but it did not fall upon Israel. It did not fall upon Goshen. In a very real sense, God is answering Pharaoh's question. He's saying, "I am the Lord." You have dishonored me. You have dishonored my people. And now you are feeling the consequence of that. But in the same way, he's saying to the Hebrew people, I am the Lord. You can trust me. I am merciful. I am gracious to my covenant people. It's interesting. Who do they belong to? Who are they loyal to? Who holds sway in their life? And I think you could ask the same question for us. Who do you belong to? Are you the Lord's, or are you of some other God? Again, the the, the question of your heart is not, are you following God or not? The question of your heart is, are you following God, the true God, or, or is there some other God that you follow, that you're loyal to, that gives you identity, that makes you feel secure and safe? Our friend Matt Papa wrote in his little book, Look and Live, we are all facing some deity, <laughs> something divine, something that we think is glorious. He says, Some glory has swept us off your feet. And in this very moment, like a rabid animal, we are pursuing it. That's what life is. This story, it's a story all about God and, and who you believe God to be, but it, it's also a story about man. How do we respond to God? Who is your God? Who holds sway in your life? I mean, that's really the question. Does God hold sway in your life? Do you trust him? Do you love him? There's a lot of people, I want you to listen to this. This is very important. There are many people who claim the name of Jesus. They claim the name of Jesus, but he's not really their Lord. He's not really their God. They don't don't really belong to him. He doesn't really hold sway in their life. Is Jesus the lord of your money? That's a good question to ask. Does your wealth honor the lord? Is Jesus the lord of your time? Does your time honor the lord? Is Jesus the lord of your sex life, right? You pursuing purity in him. Is Jesus the lord of your language? Does Jesus inform your relationship with others? is 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 how you treat people reflective that you are the lords do these things reflect Jesus or Pharaoh <laughs> and i want you to hear this this is a warning atlanta is a very dangerous city to live in but i'm not talking about <laughs> crime i'm talking about your heart here atlanta is the kind of city where you can totally be of the gods of this age but still kind of have a Christian label. Atlanta's that kind of city, it, it, it makes it very dangerous. You, you can totally be of the gods of this age, but I still, I go to church here, you know, yeah, 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 my families were a part of this church. I've often said, everybody's a Christian at a funeral, right? <laughs> you go to a funeral, everybody, everybody talks about how the person's with the Lord or God will take care of them. Atlanta's like that. Atlanta, that's Atlanta. It's a secular city. I think the culture of this age is certainly the the dominant God in Atlanta, but there's a lot of people who are of that God who still claim Jesus. Are you one of those people? Or is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Have you really crossed over? That's, That's why this text is so important. We're gonna see in the coming weeks that Pharaoh and Egypt still have some sway, even after this, they still have some sway over the hearts of the Hebrew people. But after this, they've crossed over. You know, After this, there's no going back. This, in a very real sense, is their baptism. You know, When we celebrate Christian baptism, in a very real way, we're kind of acting out this scene. We're saying... That this, this sign of passing through water judgment, this is what God has done for us. And, and that's why baptism is so important. It's a, it's a public declaration, it's a declaration of faith in Jesus that something miraculous had to save me, just as in the time of the Hebrew people, when they were stuck between the Egyptians and the sea, and they were doomed, something miraculous had to save them. Our baptism is that, it's, it's a statement of that. I deserve death, but something miraculous has happened to me, Jesus has saved me. In, in Jesus, I have passed through, I am with him now. He is my savior, he is my Lord. Who has sway in your life? Who who runs your life? Which God do you belong to? So we've looked at man, we've looked at God, but what about Jesus? This third point here, this this salvation. And again, this is where this this story is so helpful. There's a lot of themes in the Bible. but there's one theme that I, that I hope you've picked up on in your study of the Bible. So there's different themes. There is a God. Of course, we see that throughout the Bible. We have fallen. We have disobeyed him. We certainly see that in scripture. But here's the theme that you see over and over in the Bible, and it is that humanity is powerless to save itself. Humans are powerless to save ourselves. <laughs> we can't do anything to save ourselves. We depend on the power of God. And and, and that theme is so clear in Scripture. It's when the powerlessness of humanity is on display that God shows up in the biggest ways. It's the thief on the cross, right? What can he do to save himself? He spent his whole life thieving and stealing and killing people and doing all these horrible things. It's only the mercy of Jesus that can save him. I mean, what can he do? It's only that Jesus would say, brother, today you will be with me in paradise. You see the salvation of the Lord. Nobody would say, oh yeah, that thief really cleaned his life up at the end. No, he's dying, he's on a cross, he's powerless to do anything. No, what you do see is that that thief met a great savior at the end. It's when Israel is up against the great warrior of the Philistines, Goliath, and there's no one that can go out and fight him because he's bigger and badder than any of them, and they send a boy with a slingshot. When you read the story of David, you're you're almost supposed to read into this story, in human terms, this is a joke. It's a joke. A little boy with a slingshot going out against the great warrior, but it was The Savior, it was the Redeemer, it was the God of the little boy that beat Goliath. And God brought a great salvation. Humans are powerless to save themselves. You see this all throughout the Bible. Gideon, 300 soldiers against 135,000. Again, a joke, but their God saved them. And then here... The greatest army in the whole world on one side, a sea on the other side. These people are unprepared. They're, they're these disorganized people. But God shows up in this great way to save them. They don't even really believe. <laughs> even here, they're not saying like, our God will save you. Their, their faith's not even strong, but yet they still have a great God. And Moses says to them, "I love this." They come to him. They complain, "We should have stayed in Egypt." And Moses says, "Verse thirteen: Fear not, stand firm." And here is the theme: You got to see this. This is the whole Bible. Okay, this is, you know, I, I try to teach you guys the Bible, I, and it's hard because there is a lot going on. But this is it, right here. See the salvation of the Lord. Fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight. It's not you're gonna fight, you're gonna be awesome. The Lord is gonna save you. You have only to be silent. I was talking with someone not long ago who was visiting our church, and they said, you know, I like your church. I like that we study the Bible, um, which is good, but they say, it's, it's a little different for me. They say, you know, I'm used to going to a church where the preacher would give us a list of a couple of things that we would, could do to make our life better, to help ourselves and you know, make this better decisions or do this thing or, or engage with people better. We, we always had a little list of things we could do that would make our life a little better. And they said, but at this church, all you ever do is like, talk about Jesus and tell people to look to Jesus and have their hope in Jesus and, 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 and that it's all about Jesus. And they say, I like it, I, I just don't understand it. it. It makes me feel weaker. And I said to them, well, did you ever do any of the things that your preacher at the other church, like you'd make the list, did you ever like do the things that he told you to do? And they said, well, that's a good question because no, not really. <laughs> But then they said this, but it made me feel stronger to write down a list. I, I just wanna say this. The Bible is full of practical wisdom. There's so much in there. But our problem, your problem, my problem, is not that we don't know practical wisdom. Your problem and my problem is that we don't really know the Lord. And we don't really trust the Lord, You can have all the practical wisdom in the world, but if if you haven't seen this, that you're powerless to save yourself, but there is a great God who loves you, that there is a great savior who's given his life for you, loves you, and and has shown great love, you could have all the practical wisdom of the Lord, but until you get this, you'll never really be a Christian. You'll never really love Jesus because you don't see how much he's loved you. You don't see how much he's saved you, how much he's redeemed you. You'll never really follow Jesus. If all Jesus is to you is a source of practical wisdom, if that's all he is, then you will only, Jesus will only at best be your servant that will give you wisdom to serve your desires that are not him. It's only when you realize there's nothing I can do to save myself. I need someone to fight for me. That's when Jesus shows up as your Savior and Lord. There's a way to follow after Moses, be intrigued by Moses, but still serve Pharaoh. We see this all the time in the Bible. I think of John chapter 6, right? Jesus had Made the great meal. He fed the 5,000. And everybody everybody's, whoa, let's follow this Jesus guy. And then they go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're trying to follow after him. And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. If I'm not sure everything, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place with me. And you know what all the people did? They said, well, this is not that practical. This doesn't help me. And they moved on. But the disciples stayed. And he says, well, what about you? And, and, and they said... <laughs> Lord, we don't understand this either, Lord, but to who else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're my only hope. Does this describe the faith that you have? Is this your faith? I think of the old song, Rock of Ages nothing in my hand I bring, nothing in my hand I bring. I got nothing, I got nothing. I can't do anything to save myself here. There's Egypt over here, there's a sea over here, I got nothing. And then it says, only to the cross I cling. Does this describe the kind of faith that you have? This Is the kind of relationship that you have with Jesus? When there was nothing to do, when you had nothing to give, when you had nothing in your hand, he stepped in and loved you and saved you. He fought for you. Now as you think about that, we've gotta gotta ask another question. Human beings are powerless to save ourselves, but how did God save us? Or you you could ask it this way. (laughs) You could ask it this way, and this is a very important question. To understand Exodus 14, you have to ask this question. To understand the whole Bible, you have to ask questions like this. Why did God save Israel and not Egypt, right? Why, why did the Egyptians have to endure this judgment and not the Hebrew people? Look at verse 23. This is an incredibly powerful passage. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the pillar of the Lord and The pillar of fire of clouds stood before the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, listen to this, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. When Moses first went in, chapter five, who is Yahweh? Yahweh, (laughs) you guys have a God? Oh yeah, that's funny we have Pharaoh, we're not gonna let you go, you're our slaves, they put them down, they forgot about him, but now these people that laughed at God, that didn't fear him, that didn't obey him, he has shown up. And they're not saying the Hebrew people have grown strong. It's interesting, the beginning of the Bible, it said the Hebrew people grew strong, or the beginning of Exodus, rather. It says the Hebrew people grew strong, and so what did the Egyptians do? They started killing them. They started persecuting them. When the Hebrews, in a sense, acted in their own strength, the Egyptians showed that they were still in charge. Nobody in Egypt is saying it's the Hebrew people that are fighting back. What are they saying? The Lord fights for them. They've all recognized Yahweh now. But it was too late, God's judgment is on them. Look at verse 26, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back on the Egyptians upon their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. And all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, no one remained. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Old Testament. I said, you, you can't understand the character of God unless you understand the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, one of its main features is just like this. Right here, you have these grand depictions of the severity of God's right judgment against sin. God was judging the Egyptians, and he was rightly doing so. They had dishonored him. He is the Lord. And in a sense, when God defends his name, he is restoring righteousness. Because God is Righteousness, any defense of his name against sin is a restoration of what is right and good. God is justly bringing judgment upon them and you see this very clearly in this amazing passage of scripture but right next to it, right next to the severity of God's judgment that is very real and rightly poured out on the Egyptians, you see the amazing severity of his mercy toward his covenant people, the Hebrew people. Look at verse 29. The people of Israel walked on dry ground, the waters being a wall. They were shielded from the judgment of God. They could see it. It was right there, but they were saved from it. They were were cleft from it. The severe mercy of of God on Israel. No one in Israel died that day. Now, here's the question you should be asking. Why? Was it because Israel was so righteous and faithful and good Well, I think we've already answered that question. (laughs) They weren't faithful. They weren't faithful at all. The first thing they say when there's trouble is, we should go back to Egypt. We can trust Pharaoh more than Yahweh. It wasn't because they were so faithful. It wasn't because they were so righteous, but they were spared from the water, why? This is an important theme in the Bible. This idea of water judgment, this is not the only time we see it. It's not the first and it's not the last. The Bible begins with a very interesting description. It talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Go back and read the very beginning of the Bible. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Now water in ancient Hebrew literature and water in a lot of ancient cultures, literatures, was a signifier of chaos, of disorder, right? Right? The sea, you know, you can even see it in the, in the culture. The sea was dangerous. Water signifies this chaos, this disorder. And so what do we see? The spirit of God hovering over the waters and God bringing order, life, land. He's bringing order out of chaos. He's bringing his good beauty and life and, and his blessing to creation. But all throughout the Bible, when, when people detach from God, when they flee from God, we see this water judgment, and it's like a very appropriate judgment. It's, it's, a, it's a return, it's a decreation, if you will. It's a disordering. It's, this is evidence that you have broken away from me. So the flood narrative. The Bible says that the inclination of everyone's heart all the time was evil. And so what does God do? He, he decreates, if you will. He brings a flood over the whole earth, but to some people, he is merciful, Severe judgment, severe mercy. The, the household of Noah. Noah and all of his household is saved by the building of the ark. God spares them and brings them into what? A new creation. We see the same kind of thing here. How about Jonah, remember the story of Jonah? I mean, this is a blatant, this is a very clear story of disobedience. God says, go this way. Jonah says, uh, I'm gonna go this way. He, he totally goes the opposite way that God clearly has told him to go blatant disobedience against God, a blatant breaking away from the will of God, and what is the result? What is the result? Again, water judgment, this disordering, he's thrown into the sea, he he feels the chaos of being separated from God, but even Jonah, blatant disobedience, he's saved he's rescued he doesn't die and and he in a sense kind of enters into a a new creation where even the Ninevites repent and turn away from the Lord you see this kind of theme all throughout the Bible years after Jonah though Jesus comes and he spoke with authority he spoke as if he was God (laughs) he healed with authority and, and and he lived and this is very important he, he lived and he spoke as if he was as holy as God, as righteous as God. And this bothered people. How, how could he claim such things? How could he act as if he was so holy and powerful and true? And so the people said, well, you've got to give us a sign, Jesus. You, you, you can't keep talking this way without a sign. And Jesus said to them, this is so important. I will give you no sign except for the sign of of Jonah, the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the heart of the fish three days, so too the son of man in the heart of the earth. What was Jesus saying here? What was Jesus saying here? And what he was saying, and this is so important, he was saying, I will endure the water judgment. (laughs) Just as Jonah was thrown into chaos, just as he was thrown into the judgment of God because of Jonah's disobedience, just as the people in the time of Noah were flooded, they, they experienced God's wrath. Just as the Egyptians who had persecuted the people of God, just as they were thrown into the judgment of God, Jesus says, I will show you the sign of Jonah. Now, what the people missed, what they should have said is, Why you, Jesus? <laughs> Jonah was clearly disobeying God. The people in the time of Noah, their hearts were only inclined to disobey God all the time. The Egyptians were persecuting the people of God. What did Jesus do? He came and he only walked with God. He only loved God. His heart was only to do what was good. He only loved the people of God. Yet he says, I'm gonna be thrown into the sea. I'm gonna be drowned. I am going to endure God's wrath. And don't you see this is the answer God didn't save Israel because they were so righteous. (laughs) And God doesn't save you because you're so righteous. No, No, our only hope and their only hope was that they would have a substitute for their sin. How did God fight for them and keep them safe? I want you to see this in a very real way. There's an image of Jesus holding back the flood holding back the flood of God's wrath that would would rightly have come to them. Jesus was enduring God's wrath. He was enduring the flood. He was being drowned in their sin and in your sin and in my sin. A question you should ask all throughout the Bible is how do all these people who aren't innocent experience the mercy and the grace of God? And the answer is because the one who was innocent experienced the judgment and the wrath of God. And that same thing is true for you and for me. We're powerless to save ourselves. We're powerless to save ourselves. You, you can't, what, what, can you, what can you bring before God? But I have good news for you. God has given you, God will fight for you. If you look to Jesus, he has presented to you a savior who loves you, who's given himself for you. And if that's true... If you know God like that, not as some guru who gives you practical wisdom, but as the one who saved you when you were dead, as the one, to quote Spurgeon, who drank your damnation dry for you. If you know Jesus like that, the one who went through the flood so that you could walk on dry ground... I want you to hear this that, just won't, that won't just change your mind that won't just give you new practical wisdom to live by that will change your heart that will change your whole life and so we have to get to the final point if such a salvation exists in Jesus then how do we respond then how do we respond and, and the answer from this text is follow him walk out into the sea Moses says God will fight for you the very next verse, the Lord said to Moses, verse 15, he says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward. If you know Jesus like this, just obey him. Listen to his voice, follow after his way, go forward. He's leading you to good places. Ultimately, he's leading. Where, where were the people of Israel bound for? They were, they were bound for the promised land where they would dwell with God, where he would bless them. Now, it's, it's not always easy on the way. <laughs> there's temptations, there's toils, there's snares. There's still the impulse of Pharaoh, there's idols, there's all these things on the way. But if such a salvation exists, listen to the Lord, follow him. This is your response. This is my plea to you today. If such a salvation exists, follow Jesus. W- what are you waiting on? <laughs> Quit sitting around, step out there. And as you do, and this is where the practical wisdom comes into play. He leads you in all righteousness. He leads you in all wisdom. He leads you in all obedience. That's where obedience and wisdom and joy and life and how we treat people and and how we manage our money and time, that's where all of this comes into play. It's when we first experience this salvation that we trust the voice of the Lord enough to actually obey him. Listen to his voice. This is evidence that you're following him. Now, I have to include this sermon And I almost hate to conclude it this way, but I I, I would not feel responsible if I didn't. This story, and again, I don't know all the details, but this story has kind of a tragic ending. All these people who had seen God Move in such a big way, I mean, this massive way. And God provided for them and He led them and He gave them the law. What we know from this story is actually only two of them, and then later a third, actually make it to the promised land. All these people who, who experienced the Lord, the salvation of God, He fought for them, he, they saw the Egyptians being covered. The author of Hebrews gives us this exhortation and this whole Exodus series, I've been thinking about this passage because the author of Hebrews was thinking about Exodus when he wrote this passage. And so I'm trying to kind of figure out what's he saying to us? He, the author of Hebrews, knew the book of Exodus, I'm sure better than I did, and here's what he says. Today, as he's meditating on the book of Exodus, he says, today, today, and I want you to hear this, today, September 25th, 2022, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts as the people of Israel did, if you will, in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt by Moses? And with whom was God provoked for all those years, those 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and they fell in the wilderness? This whole generation except for two people die in the wilderness. And to whom did he not swear that they would not enter the rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter the rest of God because of their unbelief. There's some theological questions this brings up and somebody asked me, at the end of the thing but I said but look brother here's what you need to get from this this is I'm, I'm just meditating what the author of Hebrews says here what is the assurance that this salvation has come to you completely and it's that you continue to follow Jesus it's that when you hear his voice do not harden your heart it's when you hear his voice don't harden your heart listen to him repent turn and here's what he says here's what the author of Hebrews says in order to keep us going And and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the author of Hebrews writes this and God delivers this to us in order to keep this church faithful. May we have a better percentage than the people of Israel. May we do better than this. May we be more faithful than this. And here's what he says. Here's to keep us faithful. He says, take care, brothers. Lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And here's how we do it, exhort one another. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, some, of the, some of you, I want you to hear this. The application for you in this sermon is to go exhort someone who you know is being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Some of you, the application is to receive an exhortation because you are being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Some of you, I am giving you that exhortation now. Repent, look to Christ. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. He's our only hope. Keep listening to his voice. Don't harden your heart when he speaks to you. And then he concludes, For we have come to share in Christ. If we hold on to our original confidence, we stay firm to the end. Let me pray. Father, in in, in a big way, I kind of hate to end the sermon like this, but I... I have to, and I, 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 in light of this, Lord, I just have to ask you right now with an earnest heart that you would keep me, that you would keep our church faithful, steadfast, faithful, steadfast, Lord, that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that we would not listen to the calls of Pharaoh, <laughs> We would trust our great and loving Savior who endured, who endured death for us, who endured the flood for us, Lord. Who rescued us out of the water and called us to follow him, to trust him, Lord. Help us to trust Jesus. I pray that his voice would be the voice that we long to hear from, that, that his approval would be the approval that we desire, Lord. May we desire the praise of God more than the praise of any man, of anything this world affords. Keep us faithful, Lord. I pray for conviction. I pray for mutual love between one another as a church. And Lord, I pray trusting in the beautiful and amazing mercy of Jesus that even though our sins are many, your mercy is more, that even though we are powerless to fight against our enemies and even powerless to fight against our great enemy of sin and death, Lord, you fight for us. We need only to trust you. So give us this faith today, I pray for Jesus' sake and in his name.